Welcome back to another week of the Base Training Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about stress. It's an important uh, thing that we're all experiencing. Um, but as first, but first, should I say, we're going to, as always, let you know where you can find us. I'll get us started. Uh, you can find me at Lee Carter UK on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me, Lee at base.training, if you want any more information or you just want to chat. <laughs> where, where can everyone find you? Um, so, uh, LinkedIn is Will Shafty. Instagram is Coach underscore Will underscore Shafty. Facebook, Will Shafty, Health and Fitness Coach. Email is Will at base dot training. Hit me, Stefan. So, Instagram at Coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. LinkedIn, Stefan Winder MSC. Facebook, Stefan Winder Strength and Movement Coach. Email, Stefan at base.training. Awesome. 65 seconds that took us. We're getting, yes. We're getting <laughs> <quick>. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're just going to crack straight onto it. So save waffling. Stress is extremely important to understand, I think. Um, definitions. Will, hit us with a de- definition of what stress is for those that don't really know. Um... So in the broad sense, it's kind of your reaction to uh, your your reaction to certain information, uh, which can make you feel uh, either threatened or under pressure. Um, you can have physiological stress, so stress that affects your body in a physical way, and psychological stress, which would affect you uh, more in a, a mental capacity. So things like. Um, I don't know, Lee's trying to stab me, I'm going to run away. That's more of a, a physical stress that I have to run. I'm under severe life-threatening pressure. Uh, but I'm dealing with uh, lots of stress at work. Um, this kind of affecting my relationship with the family. That's going to be more psychological stress. Yeah, I don't think we can really delineate the two, can we? It's uh, They're very interlinked with each other. Yeah. Um, I think they're dependent on each other as well. Um you mentioned that kind of the mechanisms of stress there, physiological and psychological. I think we should maybe dig into the physiological um, responses first, because I think they're the most. Well, that's how that's how we know whether we're under stress, really, is because we it's expressed in our our individual motricity, how we move, and our behaviour is really going to yeah um, show someone whether you are stressed or not um, to an extent, obviously. Um, so we have this fight and flight response, um, and we have the rest and digest response. We also have the freeze response, which is a bit maladaptive. Um, and they come from kind of two different sides of the nervous system, from the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Stefan, what, what happens in the sympathetic nervous system when we hit that fight and flight button? Like what is, what's going on? So uh, the best way I can describe this is the physiological changes we experience are very, well, are very reflective of the vascular shunt. So our blood supply gets cut off to the things that aren't necessarily going to be important at that period of time for you in order to survive that situation. For example, uh, if I've just eaten a meal 
typically we're in that parasympathetic nervous system. So a lot of blood is being provided to my organs, to the digestive system, to that GI tract, so that those processes and those body functions can work, so we can extract and absorb as many nutrients as possible to thrive. Um, in a situation where I need to survive, so that fight or flight mechanism, uh, digestion no longer becomes important at that point. We need to prioritize uh, escaping that situation or getting involved in that situation, hence fight or flight. So blood supply uh, is, gets stimulated to the periphery, so to the musculature, uh, and it gets it doesn't get shut down completely. Like We still get blood supply to the, uh, the GI tract and things like that, but it's just not enough to allow those processes to function um but yeah vasodilates the periphery so we've got much more blood supply oxygenated blood going to the working muscles and the one thing that never changes is the stimulation of blood flow to the brain uh so that that vascular shunt that we talk about when we start to feel that transition is often when people experience what we what we tend to call butterflies in your stomach that change in blood capacity in your stomach is that tingling feeling that you get is where you're actually shifting into that fight or flight mechanism. You're getting a bit nervous. Your your neurons are getting excitable. They're getting ready to start firing at a rapid a rapid rate. Whether you need to run really fast, or whether you need to throw some haymakers. <laughs> so uh, that's that tends to be what happens during that sympathetic nervous system. Those will be like the physiological responses. If you start to feel those butterflies or those nerves in your stomach, you know that you're probably shifting into your uh, fight and flight mechanism yeah it's uh, i think most people would have been in that state at some point in their life and i think it's important to consider that especially within big cities and you know, the research is pretty clear on this is that one of the reasons for the in incline increase that's the word i'm looking for in mental, <laughs> health, in mental health problems is due to being in this uh like consistent sympathetic or sympathetically state can't remember words out today, sympathetically driven state most of the time. I mean, it should be the opposite. We should, that, well, that is the fight and flight um, response. We should be in the opposite, which is the rest and digest response most of the time. Then every now and then we jump into that fight and flight to run away from a tiger or um, have a, have, literally have a fight with someone. Um, but we're under that, under that pressure from work, from family, from relationships, from sport, from the gym, uh, which is, probably more our area um so well what is what's the rest and digest system the parasympathetic nervous system how do we know if someone's in that um so i'd say a minute is it'd be tough to know for sure if someone is being driven by that parasympathetic system um but that's the one that we want to be in uh, be driven by most of the time that's where uh, homeostasis is controlled, circadian rhythms, I mean, that's in balance there. Energy levels and sleep quality are going to be higher. And recovery between training and uh, physical stresses are going to be greater as well. And things like your blood sugar and blood pressure are going to be lower and more stable. So that's why we want to be driven, parasympathetically more of the time. Um, but it's, it's going to be really hard to like say, oh, that person over there, is being driven by a parasympathetic nervous system. Um, but you can generally say someone who is probably a little bit more at ease with themselves, um, probably more more confident, more relaxed, breathing probably is going to be more controlled and lower rate. Heart rate is probably going to be lower as well. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, it's important to be in that, isn't it? Because like, with its more uh, lay name, the rest and digestive system, it kind of says what it does. You need to have rest in your body to be able to digest the food and I suppose the stress that you've had during those stressful periods. And if you don't, you, you're going to have like, maladaptive responses. Um, it's going to change hormone levels. It's, it's going to mess with, I'm going to try and keep linking this back to uh, exercise and health. It's going to mess with your health. And you might see that as uh, from not being able to lose body fat, from uh, having like, GI problems, so like, a bellyache, tummy ache, that sort of thing. Um, headaches, that sort of stuff as well. It's going to mess with your physiology and it's going to also change your behaviour, which again drops you into this negative cycle where it just it's just snowballing downhill. And uh, I think most people will agree with me when I say that, in that when you get into that stress response um, or a poor stress response cycle is that it, everything just seems to get worse. <laughs> nothing ever really improved like there's never one thing that just snaps you out of it. it always just seems to get worse and when you think it couldn't get worse it does um, the freeze response then I'll take that one is a bit of a as I said at the start a bit of a maladaptive response in that you, you just don't do anything where you you just can't operate um, and if you link that back to uh, you, you'll see this if you ever see someone about to get run over instead of running away they just freeze and stop in the middle of the road um, hoping that nothing's going to happen to them and the car dis suddenly disappears. And you see it in the animal world where um, like there's a bird flying a couple of hundred feet above and there's a, a hare on the ground that just stays completely still and the, the bird can't see it because it picks up movement, doesn't pick up like shapes. Um, ideally, we never really want to be in this, but it does have its, have its place. Um, there's not really too much to say about the, uh, the freeze response, to be honest. But I think it's important to note that sh these responses are stimulus-driven. So you perceive a threat or, or not, and you act accordingly. Um, and as I was alluding to earlier, like, at the mo at the, now, I can't get my words out, in our time, in our generation, uh, we're too much in this fight-and-flight system. Uh, we're perceiving threats that aren't really there. And that's leading to anxiety and depression and uh, eat, eating disorders and all that sort of stuff. What are some signs of stress other than the ones we've talked about? Uh, so are you talking clear, obvious, I'm looking at you, there's a sign that I'm stressed or more, more, more subtle things? A bit of both. Um, so obviously when it comes to, um, more, uh, what's the term? Is it this more me, like you can't, more personal. internal, psychological, mental, personal, I suppose. Um, so people are going to feel like quite irritable, um, so they, People will be quite short with their answers, quite like snappy. Uh, little things are going to irritate them. I know you could be sitting having a cup of coffee in a coffee shop and every little noise of a person in there really gets to you. Uh, you kind of take note of it. You could be like real like, low on self-esteem and uh, self-confidence. Um, so you kind of think that you're not 
quite the person you should be or whatever. Um, you could try and avoid certain situations and certain people. Um, kind of that self-confidence, self-esteem thing. You don't want to be uh, have to talk to people or be in situations that you may feel add more kind of stress to your situation. Um, and there's obviously quite a few uh, physical, more physical uh, problems that you might experience when you're stressed. Um, so you could have like, cardiovascular problems, uh, so you have heart attacks and things, gastrointestinal issues, uh, real problems with your immune system. So you might feel that you're getting ill more than you normally are, but little things like colds and flus. Uh, and then endocrine system issues, things like diabetes, sexual influence, decreased longevity. I think one that the, especially the, probably the guys will um, have picked up on is that sexual part um, <laughs> and how stress can impact upon your ability to, uh, especially for males, to have an erection um, and to reproduce. It's all of that stuff is inhibited. Like, like for the basic physiology of the male reproductive system um, or the endocrinology of it. So you have the hyper when you sense you need to reproduce, um, the hypothalamus in the brain releases a hormone called um, LHRH, something like uh, luteinizing hormone releasing hormone, I think it is. Yeah. Is that the one? Is that the, is that the one? Um, that, that into this uh, private circulatory system that it shares with the anterior pituitary gland. Um, LHRH then triggers a release by the pituitary of luteinizing hormone and a hormone called uh, FSH, I think it's called, which is like follicle stimulated hormone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can never, I can always remember the uh, the letters, but never really the name. Um, and that works to engorge the testes, and then uh, helps to stimulate sperm production. And uh, that that's I suppose that's for the basic off the rack male. All of that stuff is inhibited with stress and stress responses. So if you're under a chronic level of stress, whether that's perceived stress or actual threat then your ability to reproduce and have sex is going to, to diminish. And this is one of the questions I always ask my male clients is how are they feeling horny? Like if they're not, then that's, that's like a sign that they're either they're under too much stress from the exercise we're giving them. Um, if it's for a performance, uh, what's it called? A performance goal, then you have to ask the question, like you're pushing that boundary anyway. So that might be a bit of a side effect. But if it's just purely for health, then it's not healthy to not be able to reproduce for a male. Um, whether you want children or not, it's not healthy for you. And it's got only going to lead to other problems. Have you guys ever experienced any clients that have been through that? No, I can't say that I have. Um, I mean, we haven't had those discussions, to be fair, in terms of, I like asking that question, but it's never come up in conversation. Like when we have talked about stress and things like that, we've, I've, you know, stated what some possible symptoms could be if you're you're overstressed, and that's never really uh, been something that's come up in the conversation. So uh, I can't say that I have worked with anyone that has experienced that themselves, but 
obviously some of those other symptoms and, and signs that Will was mentioning earlier, those are normally tend to be the most prevalent ones and lack of sleep uh, tends to be the biggest one or broken sleep tends to be uh, one of the prime ones that is a big exhibitor. Is that a word? Exhibitor? <laughs> uh, of, of stress within or amongst my, my clientele. Yeah, and that's got just going to compound everything, isn't it? If you're not sleeping, then you're not recovering. You're not getting into that rest and digest uh, system. Again, it's that negative cycle. <laughs> Will, you look like you've got something interesting to say. Uh, no, I was just no. kind of like <laughs> nodding my head along <laughs> how, well, how well that conversation kind of blew together. <laughs> and that, you're probably not going to find many other podcasts that talk about male erections mm-hmm. and how that your stress in your life is going to affect that. Exactly. Um, when it comes to exercise I I think it's important to talk about how exercise is actually a a stress on the body and what we're trying to do with the body is is to make it improve we have to give it some stress and we can have distress D-I-S stress or U-stress E-U stress one means good one means bad if we and what we're trying to do with that stress is move you slightly away from um, homeostasis to a point that you can return from, or we're trying to put use stress to push you back into homeostasis, into a balanced level. So, on that respect, if you imagine someone that is, um, let's, say, let's say you've got minus 10, zero, and plus 10. Imagine they're sitting at minus five. They're they're in a state of distress. They're already away from uh, homeostasis. They've created an excursion away from that an allostatic load that they can't recover from. And this is that negative cycle. That's when you add when you you go okay. I'm, I'm in this bit of a negative cycle. Maybe you're a bit you're a bit depressed. Maybe you've got some anxiety going on. Maybe you're not sleeping quite well. Maybe you're drinking too much. Uh, maybe your relationship's falling apart of your friend or your friends or your partner. And so you go, okay, I'm gonna sort I'm gonna sort this out. And you try and do something positive and you go to the gym. And the you don't know what you're doing in the gym. So you join the local class, which happens to be a high intensity class, which is most common these days, and you just start smashing yourself. And because you put on a bit of uh, a bit of puppy fat, you're like, okay. I'm going to smash myself and I'm going to decrease the amount of calories that I take in. So I'm not going to be able to recover from what I'm, uh, from the, the stress that I'm creating to my body. And yes, that would work if you were a plus five, but as a minus five, that just won't work. It will push you further and further down towards the minus 10 and towards catastrophe when real, like real problems start happening, happening, should I say. Um, so we can use stress to actually bring you back to homeostasis, to bring you back to zero, and then start moving you toward, and we can actually then use some distress to move you towards plus five and plus 10, where you're losing body fat, where your relationships are great, where your mental health is great, where you're um, not drinking anymore and all those habits are great. So it's important to remember that you can use exercise as a, and it can be perceived by the body as a punishment, and that's really not what we want to be doing. What's your experiences been with uh, been with that specifically? The way people use exercise, the way it's being used in the general population of society. Uh, 
so uh, people generally that what I've experienced in the past is um, they see exercise as a way to relieve their stress um, because obviously they you get the, the happy endorphins but at the same time what they don't see is the other side of it is the, the nervous system response to it and they don't understand that um, so why why they sometimes feel psychologically better after exercise they don't see the negative physiological stress responses to that uh, and they kind of end up in this cycle of getting worse physically and mentally but each time they do it they get a little high of positivity mentally that just keeps them going enough before they realize that they're in this downward spiral yeah, always hearing, didn't you? It's like, why do you like to go to the gym when you consult with someone? Oh, it helped me relieve stress. Oh, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It drives adrenaline, it drives cortisol, and it drives a dopamine response that makes you feel relieved, coupled with that exhaustive feeling. And we link that to having worked hard because that's what Instagram tells us is that you have to really, you have to really work hard to get everything in, in life. Yes is is true to a point, but you don't have to rash yourself a lot of times. Ultimately, um, that leads to a negative point. Like you see these high performers um, in the business world and in the sporting world where they've got everything, but yet they're not happy. Like they've got the Olympic gold medals, they've got the uh, millions quid in the bank, but yet they're still not happy and uh, they're still not performing well. And you see it a lot of the time, especially in elite level sport, is where they go the opposite way, especially gymnastics. Like you watch a elite level gymnast perform at their best on TV for the, like ten years, from like the age of fourteen to like twenty four, and then they disappear for a couple of years and they come back as a pundit. And they're overweight, <laughs> they just look Ill, a bit ill, they can't do what they used to do anymore. They're injured, and they're going through surgery and things like that um, because their body is essentially trying to recover from the um, level of distress that you put put it into to get it to perform to its maximum yeah prime example of that actually was victoria pendleton wasn't it mm. look at her she like best like, female scientist in the world broke all the world records london's 2012 gold medal she achieved everything she wanted to but she, she wasn't happy and uh, she's had massive problems with depression and anxiety because of it and it's not necessarily because she's uh, an emotional person but it's because of the physical stress that she's put on her body um she, she hasn't been able to recover from it so her body has just deteriorated to the point that mentally she can no longer cope um and her body's not able to re recover properly anymore like she's got kidney kidney problems so she's got a renal problem so that head with that um that place that you have to go to when you're training for to win a marathon uh, to marathon, what am I on about? <laughs> to win a cycling event, um, a track cycling event, is uh, that that pure stress, that emotional and physical stress that she's had to go through. So then not, no longer have that stress put on her. Her body's just still ready to deal with it. And because of that, it's been overactive for too long and now she's kind of rebounded and she's put on weight again, which is great for her. And she's a lot better, but... Uh, in that initial phase, anxiety, depression, marriage suffer because of it. And it's, was that gold medal worth it at the end of the day? In terms, like, life is short, you can't get time back. 
Um, she thought that's what she wanted, but now she's like, I wish I'd just spent more time with my family. Like she's got, she's got a young child. She's like, I wish I'd spent my time there. And it's, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. Because uh, it's happening more and more in elite sport, I think. Yeah, I think, and the the problem I have with it is like elite sport. I think it's not fine, obviously, but at least those people understand the consequences. But you got like these elite sports men and women are there. They've got the mechanic, like the biomechanics, to get to the that point in their uh, their sport. They've got the mentality to be able to do it. They've got the physiology to be able to do it for that period of time. What I do have a problem with is that being personified as the like the gold standard for people that are just looking for help and to be as long-lasting as they possibly can. Um, a big example of that would be like the suicide rates post-professional NFL and post-professional sport. It's because people can't, like the cognitive problems that follow on from high performance is are, like they're pretty well recorded now. Um, and there, there is a like depression, anxiety. That's what that stuff causes. It's post-traumatic stress, essentially. And it's how the body's trying to deal with it. Um, the what I have a problem is when someone is um, trying to get healthy and they go onto Instagram, which is generally the place people go now, uh, and they go, "Okay, this person looks great. This person's performing really well. This person's performing at the Olympic Games." I need to do what they are doing. And because they're doing it, it worked for them. It must work for me. Well, no, you are a complete N equals one study. You're a complete individual. You might not have the biomechanics to be able to perform high intensity exercise and um, and firstly, respond to it. Secondly, to adapt from it. <laughs> um, I suppose secondly and thirdly, but firstly, to even express it be able to respond to it to then adapt to it um, you might not have the physiology physiological makeup to be able to do that so you're just pushing yourself to a point where that you can't handle you do that for chronic periods of time and then that leads to in most cases you're not reaching your goal or drop out or even worse injury which is the dirty secret in the fitness industry is there's millions of people out there exercising that are chronically injured that are in pain when you shouldn't be like you shouldn't really be in pain when you're exercising you should maybe feel discomfort and it should be a little bit tough but you shouldn't really be experiencing mechanical pain that is that's not that's not health because um, it's not going to be your health is really from day one to the day you die that's not sustainable and it doesn't um, it's not in line with that and i think there's, it's a there's a big confusion when people come especially come to me and ourselves as coaches and go, okay, I want to be healthy. Okay, cool. Well, what do you want to do? I want to do high intensity interval training. Uh, yeah, that's they're completely out of whack of each other, but <laughs> like they're the complete opposite. Maybe every now and then we add some intensity in, yes, and we had add a relative amount of intensity that you can handle. But in general, the level of intensity that you will get from a high intensity class is too intense for you in most cases you're being pushed there you're excited the adrenaline is running and you push yourself just a bit too hard especially if you don't know your limits and your boundaries and you've never trained before um if you're like one of us that's been training since we were 15 
then you have a rough idea of where your boundaries lie. You go, okay, yeah, I've pushed it a little bit too hard now, I'm going to stop. But instead you get Mr. Motivator in the background with the head mic on, going, no, <laughs> and you're saying, I want to stop. And they're like, no, keep going, you pussy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's it's that, the military mentality. People, I want to be beasted. But no, you don't. I've just taken a client on, actually, that is... Um, got a new kid, three or four months old. Um, they're sleeping five, six hours a night. Um, they're working a full-time job, self-employed. Um, so it's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Uh, they are, and they want to lose some body fat. They just can't seem to get rid of this like lower body pooch on or in and around their belly. Um, and I've, I've, I've said to them, okay, the first four or five weeks is going to be really low level, like one to two sets of different exercises, slightly higher reps. And they're like, it feels like I've not done anything. Like, good. That's where I want you to be. I want you to exercise and feel like you've not done anything, like you can do more. So we can slowly over time, over the next year or so, gradually increase that to a point where they can do the stuff that they enjoy. But because of the, because of the state they've got themselves in, whether that's previous training history, whether it's, um, the stress that they've been placed under or placed themselves under, um, they can't can't do that and they shouldn't do that, especially if they actually want their sign of health, their goal of health. Um, that's my that's my problem with the fitness industry at the moment is that um, we're pursuing a level of fitness that is not conducive to health. Mm. <sighs> <laughs> well, I could just got a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> Tell them, me. Tell them. <laughs> so I'm just going to go off on a tangent. Kind of loosely related to what you just uh, mentioned about, obviously, uh, your uh, client. Uh, so people are in that similar situation that want to um, lose that kind of little bit of extra body fat. Um, so they go and do something like a high-intensity class, um, which obviously we know is stress. And during that class, they're going to be in that fight-or-flight response. Uh, and they can't recover from it. And they've been doing that for a couple of weeks and they realise they haven't lost any more body fat. So they're doing even more. They're stressing about the fact they can't lose their body fat and they're adding more physical stress onto their body. And what starts happening is you get this chronic overactivation of this sympathetic system. And what people don't understand when it happens is you get a hormone called cortisol released, uh, which plays a role in glucose um, metabolism. Um, during that system, which obviously is helpful because we need increased muscular contractions and things. Uh, so it's a good thing whilst you're in that state. But when you're chronically overactive and you can't regulate cortisol, you start to actually have some health problems from it. Uh, and in regard to body fat, actually, uh, you just can't, insulin can't control, uh, can't regulate your blood sugar. So you generally have higher blood sugar than normal, um, which is a contributor to, to, to weight gain, excess uh, body fat. Um, but it helps to mobilize, of course it helps to mobilize your uh, fat from storage uh, as um, under the skin, but, um, down there. Yeah, subcutaneous body fat. It helps relocate it to uh, visceral fat, so deep in the, in the abdomen. Um, so cortisol's taking this fat from storage where you can be using it for exercise and then nah, 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 let, let's put that deeper in so they can't get to it. Um, so as you start to exercise, 
and you get this overactivation of uh, cortisol, you're actually storing more body fat in your visceral uh, fat cells, which is actually a health problem because you don't know it's there and you start to kind of have fat surrounding all your vital organs, uh, which in the long run leads to bigger, bigger health problems. And in regard to uh, kind of producing excess body fat, as you have this excess cortisol, you crave more carbohydrates and just higher calorie intake of food. So you just start eating more, eating more high carb carbohydrate food. So now you're in a calorie excess and you're storing loads of fat viscerally. And now you're in a worse state you start from. It's yeah. so all because you, you wanted to burn body fat at a high intensity method. Now you're storing more body fat, eating more food, and probably are now under more stress. What is, I think what is the, uh, the misleading part of it, of high-intensity training, and we bang on about this all the time, is the fact that it will, in eight weeks, probably help you decrease in body fat. In most cases, if you do it really relatively well, and the resilient ones will get it even better. However... In five years, that probably won't be the case again. You, I, I don't. I've not met many people, other than real elite performers that are doing it right, um, that are looking for health and have trained high intensity, but really hard, without some of these side effects and and been able to sustain it for more than five years. I couldn't. Like I was doing CrossFit, and I definitely burnt out around the four-year point of training really, really hard. And like twice a day, like really going for it, five six days a week, um, and like it, you just you think you can, like you're in your head you can. That's that mental strength, but your body just starts breaking down. Injuries start creeping out, um, and I'm like personally, I move relatively well. Um, I train. I've trained relatively well. I've trained consistently since I was like thirteen, and it through high intensity stuff since I like, see. In quote marks, high intensity, but judo is and rugby is a relatively high intensity, um, relatively high intensity sport since I was about three and five. So there's twenty odd years of intense experience in there, and three four years in, I'm getting injuries. Um, I definitely noticed a de decline cognitively, but I was ripped. <laughs> that was the side of I was absolutely ripped. There's a picture. Uh, I've got a picture somewhere of me doing a toes to bar. Um, in a competition, I think it was, and uh, I look apps. There's like barely any body fat on me, but like outside of that, I was absolutely broken. My psychology was declining, uh, mental health was declining, my memory was declining, um, my, my general performance for consistent periods of time was much lower. Like I could have a real big bout of intense performance for a short period of time. Yeah, great. 10 minute AMRAP, <laughs> but like outside of that, everything was starting to decline. And I've not many, not met many people that can handle that cortisol drive for that long. And I think the ones that can are the ones that are winning Olympic gold medals and across CrossFit games and uh, running Iron Men for fun, like <laughs> um, and doing challenges, swimming and swimming the coast of Britain and all that sort of stuff. Um, the average day to day person just it just can't handle that. They're not set we're not set up for that anymore. Um, 
and believing that again that that's going to be your savior not going to be the case uh, it's going to take you a long time to if you want to make it sustainable small strategic changes and steps forwards and steps backwards at some point and the steps sideways and steps ups and down <laughs> to to make your goal of reducing body fat last for the next 30 years as opposed to the next three um yeah it's a it's a poor state that the industry's in unfortunately uh, i think that's a good point to um take a break uh, and we're going to come back with sign or tips on how you can really deal with stress um, we'll talk a little bit about the environmental stresses as well that we're experiencing day to day that you might not be thinking about um and yeah we will be back in a moment <coughs> And we're back with another part two of the uh, stress podcast, <laughs> or, or the base training podcast on stress. Uh, last time we talked about uh, the nervous system, how your body perceives stress and how it de deals with stress, and signs and symptoms of being overstressed and distressed, um, and how it affects your health and how uh, exercise can be used as a medicine or it can be used as a poison um through do you like, do you like that one will <laughs> through, <laughs> through the application of stress um it can bring you up it can bring you to back to zero and plus 10 to the best performance of your life or it can drive you deeper and deeper into a hole but this time we're going to be talking about tips uh, I'll, I'll give you some tips of how to deal with stress and uh, talk about some of the environmental factors. So it would be a little bit shorter, um, probably 20 minutes or so. But what are some of the environmental factors, Stefan, that uh, people aren't considering as stressors in daily life? Oh, good question. So uh, there are lots and lots of environmental factors that can trigger our stress response, especially these days. Uh, everything is mechanised now and um, a lot of these things tend to be stress bringing. So things like public transport, this can be extremely stressful, especially in uh, big cities where the infrastructure is really good, like London, uh, Cambridge, Birmingham, Manchester, all these kinds of uh, cities have got really, really good transport links, buses, tubes, trams, trains. And this can be a very stressful time, especially in peak uh, peak hours. So between, let's say, 6 and 8 a.m. and between, I don't know, 5 to 7 p.m. Um, this tends to be peak commuter traffic. So especially in London, obviously I'm currently working in central London, that is a very, very stressful time. It's like everyone's packed in like sardines in a can. Uh, people are hot, they're bothered, they're sweaty, they're smelly. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really uncomfortable time uh, for a lot of people. And that's that can be extremely stressful for some people. Um, you'll notice a lot of people now have their headphones in because they don't want to deal with the stress, they're trying to zone out because they don't want to be exposed to the loud noises and the discomfort of being on that on that tube um got work our work life can be extremely uh stressful um 
if you're an extremely busy person, if you're a busy work professional, you've got client meetings, then you've got staff meetings, staff briefings, presentations, um, phone calls, you name it. Uh, all of these things can be extremely, extremely stressful. It's like a juggling act. You're spinning a lot of plates and you're doing everything you can to keep all those plates spinning. But sometimes what you've got to do is just prioritize those things. Uh, what is going to be the most important thing that I can, uh, that needs to be done first in order to then allow them to release us? But obviously, I'm sure we'll get onto that in a sec. Uh, but yeah, so, so stress, uh, the, your job can be extremely stressful. Then we've got our family life. So again, more of a juggling act. So on top of your commute to work and then working and then commuting back, you've then got your family life. So if you've got a young family, uh, trying to provide for them, look after them, take them to play dates, take them to school, um, feed them, clothe them, bathe them, you know, this becomes extremely, extremely stressful. Um, relationships, whether that's um, a romantic relationship, whether that's a family relationship, whether that's relationships with your friends, um, trying to see all of these people and keep all of these people entertained and happy that you're providing them with, you know, top pants and a great, <laughs> a great time. Uh, that could be stressful, trying to organise all of these social gatherings. Cooking is a big stressor for people these days. You tend, like, a lot of people opt to get takeaways now. They'll pop down to, or they'll go for a meal deal at Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Pret, whatever it is. Um cooking is a big stress for, for a lot of people they everyone says the same excuse uh, in my experience i'm sure it's the same with you guys as well uh, people don't have the time to cook because they've got so much other stuff that they need to crack on with so yeah cooking can be another cause of stress for some people so they opt for the the worst option of eating out and not necessarily making a good choice of the food they just kind of grab the first thing that they see um and then training as well, like physical exercise on top of all of that stress you've already got going on. Physical training is uh, another, as we've already mentioned in our previous one, that is a physical stressor to your body. You're applying stress and moving yourself further away from homeostasis. Um, and then obviously uh, like house maintenance as well. Like if you're a homeowner or you're renting, no one likes clutter. I mean, some people love it. Hoarders love it, right? <laughs> but I, I don't know many people that like clutter. Uh, so trying to keep your house in order, hoovering, cleaning, uh, you know, doing doing uh, doing laundry, doing the washing up, doing the dishwasher, all of these things tend to stack up. And as you can tell from all of these things I've highlighted, it becomes very, very hard to spread your time across all of these variables. And I feel like now, these days, some people tend to spread themselves almost a little bit too thin. And this is when we start to see some of these negative, not only physical, but then more importantly, a psychological stress. And, you know, it's a big thing at the minute. Men's male suicide is uh, a really big, it's quite prominent now in the media. And if you think about all of these things that I've just mentioned, you can t start to see why these things can get on top of people and why that can put them in a bit of a negative mindset and how that can very quickly snowball. Um, and another thing that I haven't even mentioned, it could be a financial situation as well. Um, so if you add financial instability on top of all of those things, uh, that tends to be the tip of the iceberg for some people. And that can be what causes people to jump off the cliff as it were. And, um, and yeah, take, but 
it's, it becomes very, very difficult this day and age to, to manage stress because if you're not stressed about one thing, you're probably stressing about another. So finding ways to manage that stress and manage your time appropriately, as I've said before, time is something we can never get back. So making the most of our time so that we can live a happier, healthier life is probably more important than physical exercise in most cases. I want people to understand that it's the accumulation of all of this. Your body's very good at dealing with acute stresses. It has the fight and flight response. It makes you run away. It makes you it makes you like clench your fists up and start throwing some hands at someone if they're trying to attack you. Like the acute responses are very good at dealing with it. It's when this happens chronically, and what people don't uh, often forget to take into account is that the accumulation of stress over your lifetime has an effect, especially when it comes to pain, on your pain levels, your perception of pain, your motor output, your behavior. This ha So the surgery that you had when you were seven is a stressor. Someone cutting you open, your body doesn't like that, believe it or not. That, it, that can accumulate over time to create this allostatic load, this point of distress that you potentially just can't recover from. And then you start having some real problems, right? It's not just a bit of finance. You're not just worried about your finances. You are uh, like experiencing physiological pain, experiencing psychological distress. Um, you are really starting to have some problems at this point. Um, one of the things we also didn't talk about in the last podcast, um, we talked a little bit about it for the males, how stress affects the male reproductive system, um, but we didn't really talk about it for the women, the uh, females. Um, pregnancy and how many children you've had is a is taken into account when, we, uh, when we're designing a program, especially for clients with base training. Like if someone's had several children, then we might not be putting them through like max effort back squats. <laughs> um, one of the things that I see a lot of time when it comes to people that are looking for health but have got that confused with performance is the cessation of the menstrual cycle. And that is not a good place to be, especially for a long period of time. Again, your body, a female's body will inhibit that in the state of or in a state of um, acute stress. So if there's like several weeks where the body is under acute stress, it might inhibit your menstrual or a female's menstrual cycle to allow you to deal with the foot at hand. But again, having that happen for three to five plus years it isn't a good thing. Um, it's not good for the reproductive system of a female. You see this in elite sport all the time. Calder Radcliffe is a good example. Um, wanted to have children. What does she do? She stopped running. She had to she had to completely stop the sport so that she could increase her chances of, pregnant, of getting pregnant. Um, and you see it a lot in the CrossFit world, although it's not spoken about much. If you look look hard enough, you'll see the females at the top of the sport. Not many of them are getting pregnant, um, and if they do, a lot of them stop the sport and then get pregnant. Um, they're not competing at the same time, unfortunately. Uh, have you guys got anything input on that topic? Um, so obviously with the female um, reproductive system as it, and its uh, menstrual cycle system, it's all hormone-based and effectively stresses the dysregulation of hormones. 
So if you're dysregulating hormones, which are vital to your body's systems and its um, regularity and its health, but you will see problems. <laughs> but if you mess with something important, it will come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's important to, again, look at the health. As a male or the female, male, you should be having regular erections, erection cycles, um, through the night, especially. And as a female, you should be having a menstrual cycle, obviously, unless there's a um, uh, a medical intervention that is, is stopping you, like the birth control pill and things like that, stopping you having a menstrual cycle. But if you're not, and you are using condoms as a form of protection, um, from getting pregnant, then you should be having a menstrual cycle like every month, every 28 days, whatever it is. Um, and uh, it should be relatively balanced. If it's not, there is a hormone dysregulation problem there. And I love that uh, summary of what stress is, the dysregula dysregulation of hormones. Never heard it um, put like that. Another thing to talk about is, again, your past experiences um past stressful experiences so as what post-traumatic stress is um it's big in or big in ex-military now it's also obviously other places um but it's coming to fruition in the ex-military and with in america i think it is the suicide rate of veterans is 22 people a day due like being caused by post-traumatic stress um, or being uh well, that's an outcome of post-traumatic stress and um, so, it, again, it puts it into perspective of how much a problem that stress can be if you don't regulate it correctly. Um, and that's essentially what we do as coaches is the management of stressors and help you deal with that correct. It will help you deal with it better. Um, whether correctly is the answer, is the term to use, I don't know. But we help to help people to deal with it um, in a much more positive manner. So we said we're going to keep this one a little bit shorter. What are some tips to deal with stress? We've already gone through a couple. Um, should we take what two each? Yeah, yeah. You try and do two each. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> jumped in there. <laughs> um, so, one of the ones I started to touch on when I was kind of highlighting some of the potential causes of stress um, is splitting up tasks and prioritizing those tasks so organization is a wonderful thing that we can all do some better than others but upskilling yourself in your organizational skills is really really important to help you manage your stress load so if you know that you've got a busy day of meetings and stuff don't schedule any additional work on that day just prioritize those meetings because you know they're important and then prioritize completing the work from said meetings on a different day split up that task don't force yourself and bottleneck yourself into getting these tasks done because you're just applying unnecessary pressure onto yourself psychologically and if you don't then complete the task uh, you're going to be disappointed with yourself which triggers a cascade of events and again we've already mentioned the physical uh, signaling the, like the way stress works in terms of the sympathetic nervous system and you're just going to cause yourself problems that don't really need to exist on that day so um organization splitting up a big task upskilling yourself and that is really really ideal way to help you 
keep yourself in check, let's say, to prevent yourself from getting overstressed. Obviously, you will get a little bit stressed because you have to split your time between all these things. You might be in a bit of a rush, so you don't need to add any any more undue pressure onto yourself in that sense. Um, and then challenging unhelpful thoughts. Unhelpful thoughts. <laughs> so if you start to think... Uh, so coming back to the meetings, for instance, if you start to think that you're, you know, not good enough because you can't do the meetings and the tasks on the same day, challenge that thought. Why are you thinking that? You know, you should always be a positive thinker. You can allow yourself some negativity, but challenge it with positivity as well. So always, always, well, sorry, never, never... (laughs) Not always, always, definitely not always. always. Uh, never, never allow yourself to just think negatively. If you try and catch yourself, if you are starting to think something negative, challenge it with the positive. Supplement yourself so you are balancing the equation. Do pros and cons. Okay, I'm not doing that today because I haven't got enough time. Fine. So what am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to. Uh, so I'm going to think more positive because I know I've got more time to then complete these tasks, and that it's going to be a better quality than if I rushed it today. Those are the kind of things that you can do to help yourself become less stressed and and actually improve work output and capacity as well. Those would be my two. Awesome. Will, what about you? What you got? Um, so mine are more for the like the conscious activation of your parasympathetic system. Um, so I'm using based off my experience of what I know works for me and I've prescribed to other people. Uh, so diaphragmatic based breathing activities, what a mouthful that is. So in simple, it's just um, in a position. So I like to do it either just like seated or like laying on the floor, have my feet up against the wall or just knees bent. And it's breathing in through your nose, thinking about trying to activate that diaphragm, so pushing it deep down into like that abdomen um, area. And then breathing out nice slow. And it's really slow, controlled breathing, um, which we, is diaphragmatic based breathing is part of your parasympathetic system. That's how you should breathe in that in that state. Um, if you find yourself kind of panting and breathing quite heavily through the chest, um, that's that's the sign that you're you're kind of in a fight or flight response. Um, so first one is that breathing activities, um, and the second one for me would be. Uh, like meditation so it's something where you you kind of focus on your breathing at the same time but it's a time for you to kind of like let your thoughts kind of change away from that negative thing like Stefan was saying uh, more positive thoughts so that, like the meditation apps that I've used in the past like Headspace uh, and Calm and things they, they may not work for everyone you might find that you don't enjoy and it, you can't kind of get into it and get relaxed but um, like meditation in a sense is good for your your stress relief it helps you kind of really relax and come down um and calm yourself hence why the app is called calm <laughs> uh, it was quite a good point that you made about um about the breathing through the chest and breathing through the belly one of the causes i think of that is the constant need to look good so we're in a society where a flat stomach yeah. is perceived as uh if you're constantly holding your stomach in you're going to be breathing more through your chest and that's going to it's going to i think what people don't realize is your breathing is linked to your nervous system um, and you can activate it and suppress it deactivate it 
Um, yeah. so if you're breathing through your chest, you can activate your uh, your fight and flight response. So, and if you're breathing through your belly, you can activate your uh, rest and digest response, your relaxing response. That's important to remember that. My two are going to be um, being active. And the, I know the, the NHS guideline says be more active. Um, and I think, yes, that's the case if you have complete inactivity. If you're already, already an active person, then maintaining a, an adequate level of and a balanced level of activity is, is really is key. Um, trying to make it as relaxing and unintense as possible, is that word? So mm-hmm. instead of doing um, an F45 class where you smash out 50 million different exercises, you go for a walk for an hour instead. Um, a brisk walk in the woods um, where you can focus on your breathing, you can focus on, uh, it's a bit meditative, so it's kind of stealing a bit of wheels, um, two tips. And talking to someone, this is some. This is one that most people are terrible at because <laughs> we're told to bottle things up, we're told to bottle things up a lot of the time because it's, especially males, because it's the, you've got to be tough Um I know I, I suck at this 100%. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, talking to someone, again, it is good. There's there's some research that says if, if you genuinely don't believe that will help, then it probably won't. Um, so, uh, like you'll, you'll, if you ever watch any interviews of people from World War One and Two, um, their family will, will always say they never talked about it because it can be, it can bring up like, uh, images of the past and negative experiences that causes people to have flashbacks and so on. And um, yeah, it can be uh, counterproductive, but in, in general, for most people, it will probably be helpful. Um, yeah. Tips to deal with stress. If though, if someone has, uh, if one of these has helped, then only let us know. Or if you've got any other uh, tips to deal with stress that you've used in the past, like for those that are listening, then let us know. Um, comment on uh, or send us an email, let us know, comment on an Instagram post or whatever it is, send us a message, um, let us know your experiences with how you've dealt with stress in the past. I think that's probably a good place to finish there. Um, you guys got anything to add? It's just unfortunate there's not one set kind of answer for stress, is there? It's so complicated. Um uh, having someone to help you manage that, whether that's a, a psychologist, a counsellor, a coach, a friend, whatever it is, is uh, is key. We we've grown into a society where we're becoming ever withdrawn and individual, uh, whereas a couple of hundred years ago we were living in tribes and constantly supporting each other, taking the load, and taking essentially what it is. Um, but if you are in a state of real distress, I, I would recommend um, bringing the NHS, uh, speaking to a local councillor, something like that, calling 111. Um, but don't keep it just, if you are really struggling, don't keep it bottled up and uh, you can deal with it. Deal with it. There are people that want to help, so you can go to like some, I think there's Mind is a good charity. Um, uh, you can go to the Samaritans website, I think it is. Um, if, you're in the, if you're military or ex-military combat stress, help the heroes all those sort of people um, but for now we will say peace out 
And uh, yeah, that's about it. Peace.